Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Good morning. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 17. The new man, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, and who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we come before you this morning together with thankful hearts. Um, And as we recount all of your blessings in our lives, we think about your goodness your faithfulness, as we just come to you right now, remembering that it's your mercies that are new this morning. Your unfailing compassions over our lives, that Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're able to come into this place and develop a greater sense of thanks and gratitude. Often bogged down, God, in life by what we need to do and who we need to be. And what we need to accomplish, we just take a moment here before you on this Sunday morning to just rest in who you are, that you got this, that you're the one that's sovereign over the world and our lives. You're the one always faithful. You're the one always true. And it's your work that we're after. So Jesus, we we come to you with that posture this morning and You promised that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness would be filled. And so would you fill us today? Would you fill us with your word? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you fill us with a sense of confidence that you're with us? Would you fill our understandings with your truth? Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We just say right now, Holy Spirit, come. And speak to us. God, may you be the preacher in this moment. Jesus, may you be at the center. And Holy Spirit, may you guide us into all truth. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Take your seats. All righty. Okay, well, I don't know. Maybe it's been about three months. I think it's been three months. You know what? It has been three months since we started the book of Ephesians because we started Ephesians on Jimmy's first Sunday. And so today's Jimmy's three-month anniversary with us as a church. Let's go, Jimmy. Him and Brittany just did a cheers. I love that. That is so cool. Um, For the past three months, we have been walking through this beloved epistle in the New Testament that uh, was originally a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote as a pastor to a church that he had a great big heart for. This young community was living in a secular society, secular in every kind of extent of the definition of that word. Um, And they were seeking in that culture, in their own relationships with God, they were seeking to be faithful, uh, to, to remain in who they were and to remain in what God has called them to do and called them to be. And we get that as Paul is writing this letter, calling them to that life of, of faithfulness. And not so much faithfulness as like do more things, live for Jesus more in these ways. There's certainly those, those aspects. But really Paul's heart is about living in Christ. In is the preposition and it's a really important one. Just two letters But there's so much to unpack there when we think about what it means to be positioned in life right now in Jesus. Let me say this, and we've been saying it this way every week. According to scripture, there is no greater place to be in life than in Jesus. I'm not sure where you're at today. 
First of all, I'd pray that you could be confident that you are in Christ. And if today you're not sure if you are, you can be confident of that before you leave here today by turning your heart to God and saying, God, would you place me in Christ? I see who I am in my sin, but I see who you call me to be in Jesus. I see the cross and that's the way through which I get to be in you. And you can have that confidence today. But for those of us who are Christians, can I remind you, I don't know what's going on in your life today. I'm not sure what's happening around you. I'm not sure what circumstance you're in or what season of life you've been in, but can I just remind you that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put faith in Christ through the gospel, that you today, listen, you're in Christ. You're in Jesus. You're in him, not just now and, and, and not just tomorrow, but forever, eternally. It's a secure position that we have in the gospel. And Paul is wanting these Christians to live from that. To, to root deep down in Jesus where they've been placed and to grow out of that position. And so every time we've been looking through a passage here in Ephesians, we've been kind of exploring that concept. We're, we're, we're sort of going through this book, you know, chunk by chunk, section by section. And every section gives us another um, aspect, we could say, of what it means to be in Christ and why that's good news for us today. And here in this chapter, as much as it's exhortive, there is good news over our lives today from this section of scripture where we are reminded about how we become new in Christ. So that's the big idea today. That's what I'm preaching from, this title, this concept. This is what we see here in this section, that to be in Jesus is to be new. Uh, this is maybe one of the most prominent and consistent themes of the story of God and the work of Jesus. Um, th this is what God has come to do. You could really summarize the whole Bible as the story of God taking what's old and saving us from the old and bringing us into the new. You know, we're stuck apart from Jesus with the same old fallen world, the same old fallen condition, the same old brokenness and problems and temptations, and we're stuck with the same old hopelessness. But Jesus shows up, and this is what God's word promises. He comes to bring us into the new. In fact, the whole story of the Bible, I don't know if you've, you've noticed this. Um, I'm not sure if you finished the whole thing. It's a big book. But when you get to the end of it, th this whole thing, the whole story of history and scripture, it ends with Jesus making this bold claim about himself. He says this, Behold, I have made all things new. That's the certain future we have. That's what we can look forward to. It can, it can seem bleak at times. But we know Jesus is already before us. And him looking back, speaking about future events and past tense, he says, there's a day coming where I will say that I have made all things new. This is what he's come to do, to free us from the old and bring us into the new. Now, one of the most primary ways that he does that is he makes us new. He makes us new. In fact, that's where it starts. Oftentimes we want God to make, you know, them new, you know. God, can they be a little different? I don't like the same old, same old there, right? Or we would like for God to make our circumstances new. But God's first order of business when he begins to work in our lives is to renew us, to make us new. This is what Paul says as good news through the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we all know this scripture, don't we? That if anyone is where? In Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is what God comes to do for humanity through the gospel of Jesus, through that work of Christ, of living a sinless life, of going to the sinner's cross and dying a sinner's death through overcoming the grave. The power of that work in your and my life is not just that God comes along to improve upon the old. You know, let, let's just get that thing, you know, with some new software, make it a little bit better. Let, let's just clean that thing up. No, God says, I'm here for a complete overhaul. He doesn't just improve on the old in our lives, but he makes us, listen to this, new creations. That's wild. This is a spiritual reality, by the way. I don't know about you, most of the time I, I feel stuck between faith in the fact that I'm new in Christ, but then looking in the mirror and seeing a lot of the same old, same old. Anybody else know what that's like? Seems like the old likes to hang around a lot in the mirror, right? But this is a fact of the gospel, that from, he from heaven's perspective, the old things no longer define you. You're no, long no longer defined by your old shame, 
your old ways, your old temptations, the same old, same old, whatever. You are, from God's perspective, new in him. He sees you as new, covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, Paul loves this theme, and this has even been a theme of Ephesians, even writing to the church in chapter two. Paul says about the church that we are like a new people, even us collectively. He says that, that through the cross, having abolished this enmity between us, these laws that kept us distant, Jew and Gentile, he has created in himself, here's the church, the people of God, one new man from the two, thus making peace. This is the church. Paul's been unpacking this idea. Uh, this is really the book of Ephesians, chapters one through three, is how we are truly new in Jesus, that what he's done has been solidified once and for all. But as we get into chapter four here, I want you to follow me here. There's a switch that's taken place in Paul's tone. Not from, like an, from a loving tone to an unloving tone, but in a serious tone, in an exhortive tone. Uh, in this chapter that we just read, Paul is talking not just about being new in Christ, but you could write this down. He's talking about walking new in Christ. Um, it's been said that Ephesians 1 through 3 is, could really be summarized as, like, what are we called to do? We're called to sit. That's really Ephesians 1 through 3. Just, you know, we have the expression in our culture, don't just sit there. Do something. In Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul's like, don't do anything. Just sit there. Sit there and be seated in the heavenly places in Christ. This is what we need to learn to do as followers of Jesus. We need to learn how to be who we are in Jesus. So that's chapters one through three, is just receiving what's been accomplished. Before I try to get up and earn something, I, I need to sit there and see what Christ has earned for me. But there's a switch from chapters one through three when we get into chapter four. This was two weeks ago. In chapter four, verse one, Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So this is the second half of Ephesians. I don't know if I'm allowed to quote him anymore, but there's a Kanye West lyric <laughs> where he says in his Christian album, Jesus King, he says, we get called halfway believers, only halfway read Ephesians. Kanye, you scholar, okay? <laughs> Let's move on from Kanye West. Kanye understood that we can't be halfway believers, only halfway reading Ephesians. That, what commentary did you read to get that? The commentary of Kanye West. That's where I got that from. There's, there's two halves to the Christian life, and the order is very important. We can't get caught up trying to work and walk our way into the favor of God. That's where a lot of us get lost, spending wasted time trying to earn God's favor, trying to earn our newness. That's most of culture is about trying to define yourself or redefine yourself and work your way into a new identity. Nor can we get caught in a place to where all these things are true about us, but they're not being lived out through us. Are you with me? That's the two dangers. We don't want to be halfway believers, only halfway read Ephesians. We don't want to be there. We want to be those that are rooted in Christ and from that seated place, Paul is now going to say, okay, Christians, in light of your identity, in light of the fact that you are new, it's time to walk new. It's time to live new. In other words, this is who you are, but is it how you're living? That's what Paul would say. Um, the best example I can think of this as a recent is my dad, Rick Lundy, Pop-Pop, greater number one at the door when you came in, okay? Happiest man in the church, best guy around. I can keep going, all right? My dad, as of, as of late, like past maybe three to four years, it might have been right after COVID. Things were tough. We were, everyone was looking within. And so my dad did one of those ancestry DNA test things. And I was excited for him. I was also excited for me. I'm like, you know, what am I, you know? Um, and I've always knew, known that we were like some kind of combo of like eight billion different things. And... Um, Anyway, uh, you know, most of my life, I grew up being told that I was Italian. I just want to say this, okay? We even said mozzarella a certain way, you know? Even my dad with his Brooklyn accent, like, there's just an Italian overtone to him. And then, because that's what, dad, grown up, you thought you were Italian too. Yeah, 100% almost. And he knew that there was, like, some other things sprinkled in, but when he took the DNA test, I asked him permission to share this, by the way. By the way. Um, he found out that you were only, you were only like 3% Italian. 
Like, I'm telling you, my whole childhood growing up, you'd be like, what's your ethnicity? I'm like, I'm pretty much Italian. I'm like almost 100%. Like, at least on my dad's side. 3% Italian. I think it's like 90% Irish. How's it going? Boil. All right. Um, you know what's funny? There's a Lundy Island in Ireland. The writing was always on the wall, okay? Um, so this is what I love about my dad, though. My dad has discovered this new identity as an Irish boy, okay? And, and so when St. Patrick's Day comes around, look at this guy. He is fully leaning into. He is fully living out of, listen, who he is. Now, the Apostle Paul would say this to us who are in Christ. Take that Irishness as an illustration of your identity in Jesus. Here's what Paul says about you and I in Romans 6.4. That's a great background. That, I want that up the whole time. No, I'm just kidding. Paul says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, look at what he says, even we should walk in the newness of life. Do you see that? This is who you are. Live fully into it. Walk in it. And that's what Paul is getting at in the passage that we read here. Ephesians 4, verses 17 down through 24, is Paul calling us as those who are new in Christ to live out of that fact, to walk that out, to actually walk in the newness of life. He says to do that in three ways. Jot these down. Paul says for us who are new in Jesus, he says we need to first walk in a new way. We need to second walk with a new master. And we need to third walk from a new nature. We're new in Jesus. Let's walk this out. Let's look at what Paul says as we walk back through this passage. The first thing that Paul says is that we as followers of Jesus who have been made new in Christ, we ought to walk in a new way. Fully living and leaning into this reality of who we are in Jesus. Walk in a new way. He says very simply in verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, speaking to these followers of Jesus, that you should no longer walk in the way as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Paul says you should no longer walk the way that the Gentiles walk. The word Gentiles there means pagans or, or non-believers. Paul is writing to Gentile believers. This is who they are. They're non-Jewish uh, lineage believers. But he's saying to them that there's something different about you now that should distinguish you from the world around you. And he says it's the way that you walk. Now, Paul, Paul uses this idea of walking to characterize the Gentiles in, in a way that should be different than us as this sort of like uh, illustration for how we live. You know, um, the way someone walks identifies them. Uh, walking's an identifier. Like, you know, if you see someone walking fast... It shows something. Okay, they're in a hurry. Maybe they're in a hurry. Or if they're kind of taking... Don't you ever, you ever get jealous of people that are just taking their time when they walk? Don't you love that? I'm after that unhurried lifestyle. I don't know about you. I'm the guy at the mall that's like always cutting everybody off, okay? Um, but there's something to how you walk that identifies culturally. Like if you've ever been to somewhere like New York City, you know who the tourists are, don't you? By how they walk. They usually walk slow with their chins up, looking at all these big buildings, right? And you know the locals because they walk with their head down and they just plow through everybody trying to get from, from point A to point B. I mean, so Boca, like you could, if you see someone walking and they have a, a poodle in a stroller or some kind of, it identifies them. It's amazing. You could be in another part of the world and someone's just pushing, you know, their little um, bijan or whatever it's called in their, in their what is it called? Bijan, whatever, okay. In their, they're from, you'd be like, hey, you're from Boca, me too. Now, it's an identifier. Now, here's what's interesting too. I don't know if you know this, but if you found this, but like, the people in my life that I'm really close with, I can spot them in a crowd from like a mile away by the way they walk. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know your friends, they, we've all got to, come on, we've all got to walk, all right? Like, I'm fully aware of my subtle bow-leggedness. Don't look at it, but like, I'm aware of it. <laughs> I was created by God to ride horses, and I'm just not there yet. And so I, I'm, I'm aware that there's a certain walk. Some of us are a little more, you know, some of us got like the model runway thing. We're straight ahead. Some of us, like me, we're just kind of, we got the flippers on a little bit. And we're, it's just, I know it's my walk. And it's identifiable. 
And that's what Paul is saying here when he's talking about our walk. But in a spiritual sense, he's like, just like your physical walk identifies you, your spiritual walk identifies you as well. In your workplace, how you walk, how you live, it identifies you. And he says that we should no longer walk in the, the way that we walk spiritually should no longer look like, notice this, the Gentiles. It should be different than, than those who are walking according to the way of the world. And I want you to notice this phrase, no longer. Because Paul recognizes that this is how we would walk apart from Jesus. This is how we did walk before coming to Jesus. In the way of the world. In fact, the, the way that I would characterize what Paul, how Paul describes the way of the walking, uh, the, those that are uh, in the world, is he describes what I'll call the way of the walking dead. That's what he describes. And that seems like harsh language, but this is what Paul uses in Ephesians 2 to say who we were apart from Jesus and how we used to walk. Remember back here in Ephesians 2? He's like, hey, hey, Christian, you're alive now in Jesus, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You, made, you were made alive after being a time in your life you were dead in your sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Paul's like, this is how you used to walk when you were dead. But, but that's not who you are anymore. You've been made alive, so you ought to, he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in that dead state. Now, verses 17 through 19 is where Paul goes on to give one of the most like, kind of heavy and descriptive um, descriptions of what it looks like to walk apart from Jesus. How we ought not to walk. How the Gentiles walk. Paul says we should be different than this. And he lists these different characteristics of those that are walking in the way of the world. He says at first it's the way of the futility of the mind. That's what he says. We don't walk like those who live in the futility of their mind. The Greek word here, futility, can be translated vanity or aimless. Paul says we don't walk in aimlessness. I want you to think back to, this is like the, the New Testament Greek word equivalent to the Old Testament word for vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes. Where the book of Ecclesiastes is a... It's really an incredible um, work that's written by likely King Solomon from the perspective of someone, they do this experiment where they're like, let's think about life if there was no God. Let's just look at life under the sun. Let's remove the God who's over the sun, who's over it all. And let's just do like a thought experiment. If there was no God, if there was no eternity, he, he kind of thinks about life through the, that lens. He sort of takes like the, the rose-colored glasses of faith off and he's like, whoa, and he draws a conclusion all throughout the book. Here's what he says. Here's the only conclusion. Apart from a, a faith system, apart from eternity, apart from God, he'll essentially say all you're left with is the futility of, mind, of your mind, the vainness, aimless emptiness of life. It's, it's like a really stark reality, but he goes, it's true. I mean, what are you really working for? How do we make sense of injustice? He'll go on and he'll, he'll go like, he'll be like, hey, from my life, here's all the things I've tried to fill the void and give me a, a meaning and a purpose. And he uses the same Hebrew word over and over again. He says, but it really, I found it's all hevel. That Hebrew word, it means a, a pillar of air or a cloud of smoke. He's like, apart from God, I've tried to grab a, a substantial handful of life and meaning, and I've been left empty-handed. Paul's like, that's the way the world has to live. Don't walk that way. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we don't walk aimlessly. We don't have an aimless kind of like mindless zone that we get into in life. We're not in that place. We're not to live on autopilot. Paul says this. Paul says, for the Christian, here's the life. We press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, in Christ, what God has given you is he's given you an aim. He's given you a purpose to live. There's a reason for your life. We don't live and walk in the futility of the mind. We live as those who are called to something greater. And that steers us. That aims us. He says not just the futility of their mind. It's not just aimlessness. Notice this. They're, they also walk in darkness. They have their understanding darkened. A darkened understanding. Obviously, the, the, the contrast to this would be an enlightened understanding. The idea here speaks to how you make sense of your life, how you make sense of the world, how you make sense of right and wrong. 
how you make sense of your identity, how you make sense of their identity, how you make sense of everything. It's your understanding. It's your spiritual understanding. And he says, don't walk as someone who has a darkened understanding. Jesus promises this. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The psalmist says, thy word is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I walk as someone that has the guiding light of God's presence and word. I'm not just walking like the walking dead aimlessly with a darkened understanding. I've had my mind enlightened by the truth of God's word and it's that light that guides me even through the darkest times. Dark times don't have to, doesn't have to, a dark time doesn't have to produce a dark understanding. Dark times will come, but God's light always shines, amen? The word of his testimony, the light of his word is always shining. Not just aimlessness, not just darkness. Notice this, they live, they walk in, notice this, godlessness. They're alienated from the life of God. Alienated from the life of God. Now, Paul will say earlier in chapter two that this is us apart from Jesus. We're without hope and without God in the world. This is a life that's lived as a self-defining moral compass. This is a life that's lived as your own God. I mean, if you, if, if God, you have to worship someone or something, right? We know this. Bob Dylan said it. You got to serve somebody. He was right. We were created to worship. The question isn't if you're worshiping, it's what? What's God? Who's God? That's why the Bible warns against idolatry, the call to, to, to keep ourselves from, from idols. It was C.S. Lewis who said that, that the heart is like an idol factory. It's, always, it's amazing how good we are at producing idols. You know? And the things that we, we tend to worship the most are the blessings of God, especially the good things that God gives us. But, but we don't live alienated from the one true living God. We worship and we walk as those who follow him. We don't live godlessly. We've been brought near through the blood of Jesus to this God. Notice this, they live alienated because of the ignorance that is in them. Now this is a, this is a connected phrase. Those who walk this way, there's an ignorance in them. That means a lack of knowledge, but this is important. Because of the blindness of their heart. And what Paul's saying here is that the person here that's, that doesn't know the truth because they're blind to the truth, he's not saying they're blind because they have to be. He's saying they're blind because they want to be. They refuse to see is the idea here. It's really hard language. Another word for blindness here, literally in the Greek, is stubbornness. An unwillingness to see because of the cost. Because of what that truth requires of you because of what that truth demands of you. And often what truth demands of us is change, doesn't it? That's why truth is really tough to hear. That's why also it needs to be, it needs to be packaged in love because our hearts are naturally resistant to truth. So we've got we've to plate that good meal with some love and care to know that I have your best in mind if I'm challenging change in your life. We can always trust that for God. When God presents us the truth, he never does it to punish us. He does it to save us. When God gives us the truth, it's not for the perspective of let me enslave you to this religion. It's let me set you free. See, truth is the source of freedom. And we don't, listen, as Christians, we don't walk as though, not only do we have the truth, but Paul's like, make sure as someone who's new, you walk in a different way. You don't walk as someone who's resistant to truth. Did you know that... Um, being a Christian doesn't mean that you no longer have a tendency to be resistant to truth. Well, I know the truth. He set me free. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Well, sometimes we've got to face the lies as well, don't we? I don't know about you, but I feel like every day is me on a journey with God, willing to see what he's showing me and say, yes. Okay. All right. I'll obey. Yes, I recognize that. So we don't walk that way. We don't walk as someone who's blind to the truth willfully, like we're those holding the blinders. We're those that see the truth as leading us into greater freedom, amen? Now we got blindness. You're doing great. Keep following me here. There's aimlessness. There's darkness. There's godlessness. 
He talks about walking in blindness. We don't walk that way. We don't walk in blindness. Notice this next phrase, this three, these three words he uses of someone who, who's walking as a non-believer, how we ought not to walk, is a very profound phrase. He says, they're, they're those who walk being past feeling. Being past feeling. In the Greek, it's one word, it, and it just means callousness. It's someone who's able to do things that are unthinkable or to continue down sin patterns unthinkably because it's, it's a hardened heart and a callousness that's developed over that way of life, which it often doesn't start there. We often don't start hardened to God, hardened to his spirit. We, we don't, you know, we, we don't, we don't um, end up there on accident overnight. It's usually a gradual process of, of like Pharaoh, right? Hardening our hearts, saying no, saying no, saying no. And, and we can, you know, we could slowly but surely build up this, this callousness. You know, it's one of the things that the enemy's often up to. I mean, you ever, like, I don't need to convince you that this is happening in the world. We just had another mass shooting yesterday in Texas. And how demonic that people get to the place where they're past feeling. And, and, and listen, um, that same enemy sees you. And he wants you to be past feeling. And there's that, that same force and tendency to become hardened and calloused. It's your and my tendency as well. In fact, this is written to Christians. Have you ever seen this verse? This is one of those like, like, uh, Strong verses, that's what it is. Uh, Hebrews 3, look at this, 12 and, 12 and 13. This is written to Christians. The author says, Beware, brethren, followers of Jesus, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. You're on, that's not me. He goes, well, be careful. I'm not saying you want to be this, but watch out for this. This can happen. In departing from the living God, how do I get there? How, how are people in the house of God, in the family of God, walking with Jesus for so long and then no longer here? How does that happen? He says, you've got to make sure that you exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened and callous through the deceitfulness of sin. The first way to end up deceived and hardened in sin is to assume that you're not prone to or to assume that you're not tempted to, to assume that you, can, you are an exception. You can do life on your own. You don't need exhortation in your life. You, you know, you have yourself, and you have your knowledge of God's word, and you have, you know, a good spouse, maybe, you know. But notice the call for the church to be those that are watching out against this thing that is always seeking to overpower us, this callousness, like this callousness, this, this heart that is not, listen, what God wants us to be, which is sensitive to his presence. It's not like, hey, don't be hardened towards sin, because that's bad. It's like, let your heart be softened to what's good so God can use you, so God can, can shape you, so God can mold you. This is what we need more of. And we're not those that walk in callousness because our hearts have been softened. We had hearts of stone, but through Jesus, we have hearts of flesh. And maybe today you're in a place where you just need to go, God, I see this in my life. I see, I, I, maybe today you're like, I'm past feeling. And there's past feeling where you're like, you're not as emotional as them, and so you think you're not a Christian because you don't feel like them. I'm not talking about that, okay? You're wired different, and that's okay. We need you in the body of Christ, okay? But being past feeling is where you just are, it's a spiritual deadness that was a gradual decline. But if that's you today, can I remind you that God is in the business of softening those places? There's this great scripture in Acts, it just came to mind, where the scripture says, repent and be converted so that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. I need that today. Anybody else kind of feel that? I feel that today. I feel like the Lord's like, hey, Andrew, good job. You're serving me. Transparency moment. But hey, why don't you come to me and, and repent over your ways and your thinking? Let me soften your heart again. Be converted. Be refreshed by my presence. Let's look at the last thing that Paul says about walking this way. He says, they walk in blindness there's a callousness. And then he describes this, someone who's given themselves over to lewdness. There's three uh, nisses up in here. There's lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So the word lewdness, it speaks of open shame behavior. It speaks of, of, 
of living into something that should be repented over, but instead it's celebrated and practiced, maybe even in private. He says that sort of lewdness to work all uncleanness, that sinfulness, and notice the phrase here, with greediness, which is how the nature of sin works and the flesh works and the enemy works. It's never like, okay, I worked into that lewdness and now I'm content with my sin. I'm good, I don't need any more. It did the trick, no. It always call, it's always calling for more of me and leaving me in the same place on the other side, which is empty and needing more of it. He's talking about a lifestyle of sinful living. So look at this again. The walking dead, the, the futility of mind, a darkened understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, their past feeling, giving themselves over to lewdness. And the key phrase, they're giving themselves, surrendering their lives over to sinfulness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And here's what the gospel says to us. The gospel says to those of us who are new in Christ, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its lust. This doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that you don't have a temptation, temptations to sin, very real temptations to sin. It doesn't even mean that you won't fall into sin. The question is, are you fighting to allow Jesus ultimately to reign? Are you fighting for that? And notice the description of these people again. They have given themselves over. Some of us have just given up in our fight against sin. We're just kind of like, we've justified, we're like, well, this is just who I am. And, and what you're really saying is that, is, is that thing is more sovereign over you than Jesus. That thing is king. That tendency, that behavior, that heart issue, whatever the case may be. But this is not what Christ calls us to. Look at this life. And this is just real truth here. Like, I'm trying to find ways to like gospel this down. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes that's what we do is when we try to gospel it down, we can water it down. And I'm not trying to water this down. Like a Christian's called to live a certain way, to walk a certain way that's different. He's like, walk in a new way. Now, I want you to see this next thing. Notice this next phrase, write this next phrase down. Paul says, if you're gonna walk in a new way, you need to walk with a new master. This is huge. This is where we're all saved. Because at first it's like heat, it's like, don't walk like you used to walk. And then Paul's like, if that's you though, if you're living in that way, in any of those, you know, nisses, you know, godlessness, aimlessness, whatever they are, if any of those describe your life, Paul diagnoses what's at the root of it. And I love this. This is super helpful for people like me who find themselves with uh, broken walking patterns. He says, if this is you, and you're living in the way of the world, here's what he says. Here's the issue. He says, you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. This is phenomenal. Paul's like, for Paul, broken living is not an effort issue. It's a discipleship issue. He connects broken living to broken learning. He's like, if that's you today and you're here in the room and you're like, I'm callous in sin. I've given myself over to sin. I, I've kind of got a hardened heart. I'm sort of living in idolatry. I'm sort of living aimlessly. My understanding has been darkened. If that's you, I want you to know that God doesn't look at you and condemn you for your lack of effort. He says, come receive what you need from me, which is a leader. You need a leader. You need a teacher. You need to be a student to me as your, as your rabbi. Isn't that interesting? Paul's like, the root issue is your learning. Now, we could certainly take this into the realm of theology, and I do think that, like, there's definitely been that in my life. There's been sins I've justified because my theology wasn't good. And I'm like, oh, it says that in the Bible? Okay, yep. I haven't, I've not so learned Christ there, and now I have, <laughs> okay? But I want you to see what Paul emphasizes. In discipleship to Jesus, he didn't say, you have not so learned that last sermon study. You have not so learned this book of the Bible. Notice that he, he roots discipleship not just in a principle, but in a person. What a vision for discipleship. He connects broken living to broken learning, and the broken learning is not just in a principle. It's, it's a failure to learn a person, to learn Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Jesus invites us to this. He says, come to me, all you who labor, doing the best we can to get through this life with, with limps, trying to walk for Jesus. Anybody else know what it's like to, to follow Jesus with a limp? 
and to walk with a sprained ankle, to do our best to follow him. He's like, come to me, all of you who tend to walk still in the way of the world, all of you who are heavy laden with the burden of wanting to please God but failing to. He's like, come to me. I'll give you rest. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't make the load heavier. Amen? <laughs> he didn't say, you failed to keep those 10 rules. Come to me, I've got 20 more for you. He's like, no, 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 you just need me. The issue isn't a lack of learning information. The issue is a lack of intimacy. He's like, come to me. I'll give you rest. Notice what he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus here gives us a vision for discipleship. He said, come learn my way. There's three characteristics that we often think through when we think about what it means to be a disciple. Three disciplines that we want to orient our lives around. This is what Jesus envisioned for you and me. Um, this is the goal of my life, that this could be said about me as a follower of Jesus, that Andrew is someone who orients his life around being with Jesus. Like his disciples, we don't follow from a distance, we follow up close, we behold him, because we become what we behold, so we need to see him. We behold him. I spend time with him. I've got to be with him. I need to learn from him. I need to sit at his feet. I need to be shaped by him and his word. I need to be, to be graced by his presence and his spirit and his goodness. And it's from that place that I, I, I become like him, that I begin to live like him. Now, I want you to see something really significant here in Ephesians. Be with Jesus. Discipleship. Learn from Jesus. As a, that's what a disciple is, by the way, a learner, student. And, and, and any learner, student, apprentice of their leader is going to begin to take on how they live and, and to do life their way. Now, this isn't metaphorical. Um, that call to follow Jesus, to be his student, for him to be your rabbi, to follow him, is not just theoretical and reduced to like the book. We, okay, the, um, following Jesus is certainly not less than the Bible. We, we actually only know the truth as it's in Christ through the Bible. But I want you to see the living Jesus as teacher that's presented by Paul. The Greek words that are used here, that New, New King James gets it right here, I gotta say. Some of you guys are like, come on, why New King James at Souls? Why not ESV? Be because of Ephesians 4.20, that's the only reason. This is the, this is the one place that, that, that the New King James really gets it right in the Greek. Paul says, you've not so learned Christ. I want you to notice this. These are first century Christians that have never sat under the teaching of Jesus in person. If indeed you have, what does it say there? Heard him. He's alive. And been taught by the pastor about Jesus? Been taught by him. Come on. As the truth is in Jesus. This is discipleship the real living Jesus being your real living Lord, being your real living master and you being his real student. Jesus still is still alive and he's still making disciples. And he's still calling people saying, listen, I've got a new life for you. I'm reigning, I'm ruling I, through my word, by my spirit. Come hear me. Not just about me. Come hear me speak to you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit's saying. And learn from Jesus himself. Walking with him, being with him. Now, I want you to ask yourself today, is this true over your life? Because Paul says this is what's at the root of, of walking in the way of the world. It's, the, the living issue is actually a learning issue. It's a discipleship issue. So, so is, is this my life? Like, Paul's like, if this ain't your life, if you're not learning Christ, if you're not with him, learning, like, spending time with him, it, it's going to manifest in how you live. That's just true, Paul said. And, and another thing to think about is, like, what is the primary thing you're following. Just take a moment to think about that. Now, on one hand, we, we could speak to like um, this neutrality that we can have in relationship with God where we're not learning him, so we're not living in him. But for others of us, it's like there are things that are primarily informing us and leading us. And I mean like real people, real political pundits, real social media accounts. It's crazy how much stuff can get watered down and look like Jesus and it becomes the primary thing in my life that's shaping me. Like here, Here's a principle that, that the scripture gives us. Um, we are primarily formed by what we primarily follow. This is just true. 
Whatever it is you're primarily following, if it's your own voice, you will be primarily formed by what? Your own voice. We've got to be cautious and careful by what's primarily leading us because it's what's primarily forming us. Um, we are primarily formed by what we primarily follow. This is why Jesus, Jesus said this. This is, this is Grand Slam Jesus in Matthew 23. And the, and the baseball is the dome of the Pharisees, okay? That was a little harsh. But Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to how the Pharisees live and they lord over people. They're the primary leaders in their life. So Jesus says in Matthew 23, do not, don't be called rabbi. Jesus says, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you're all brethren. What Jesus is saying here is like, in your life, Jesus needs to be the primary rabbi. He needs to be the primary thing that's leading you. And so let, let's watch out for that because that's at the root of how we're living. Okay, simple, right? So we want to live with the, in a new way. We want to walk with a new master and we close here. Let's close out here. We want to walk from a new nature. Hmm. Jesus says you're new, so live this way. But he's like, but, but it's not your effort. Stop for a second. It's actually really not even what you do. It's what I do in you and and I'm doing through you. It's not an effort thing. It's a discipleship thing. Come to me. I'm going to teach you my way, okay? The Christian faith is not hinging upon your ability to follow Jesus. It's, it's hinging on his ability to lead you, amen? He's a good leader, and he will lead you into all truth. He will lead you into his way. He doesn't tease out his way to us. He's like, come follow me, and I'll teach you my way. He who seeks righteousness will find it. So you're not alone. Jesus is like, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm leading this through you. And the hope of me doing this through you is a work I've done in you. I've made you new. So he says, you don't have to be the old you anymore, actually. This is the good news. You're free from the old you. Despite what your track record says, despite how you feel today, here's what Paul says. He says, here's what we learn as we follow Jesus. We learn to put off concerning the former conduct, to put off the old, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And we're called to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That you put on the new man which was creating according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul uses this really cool analogy of putting off and putting on. Literally, it's like the language is that of clothing. Okay? And, and, he, and he creates a division. There's two people. There's an old man and there's a new man. And he says, as a follower of Jesus, he's like, First thing that needs to be in your mind is your life now is a matter of putting off the old. Like, like a dirty garment. I always think of my kids, like whenever my kids are really tired, they've been wearing just nasty, like they're just nastied out from a long day. I love them. I'll kiss them, but they're nastied out, okay? And there's all sorts of like applesauce and like another little kid's like, I don't know, like blood and hair on their shirt. Like kids are gnarly. And so I'm like, hey, good night, you know? No, but sometimes they're too tired to change their clothes. They're like, I just want to go to bed. I'm like, we got, no, you're not making your bed disgusting, okay? We're going to bathe you. And, and that's the idea. It's like, remove that and put on something fresh and clean. That's what Paul's saying. See, apart from Jesus, all we have is the old man. But in Jesus, you're free from the old man. You can put him off. You could take him off like a filthy garment. You've been actually clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's not yours to wear. That doesn't fit you, the old man. So Paul describes a new life where I have this new nature. We're now being renewed in the spirit of my mind because a big part of living different is thinking different. I put on now the new man. I put on the new nature. I, th this is describing a life of discipleship to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives from glory to glory. This is, was God's vision all along. He says this in Ezekiel 36. He tells his people, here's what's coming. I'm gonna put my spirit within you. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna fill you with my Holy Spirit and I am going to, check us out, cause you to walk. I'm gonna give you a new nature. I'm, I'm, you're not just a new creation in theory. You're a new creation in reality. You have a new heart. You have a new mind. You have a new power to, to govern your life. So many of us, we're living in the old man because we're just stuck thinking in old man ways. And the first thing we need to remind ourselves as we're renewed in the spirit of our mind that is that I have the spirit of God within me. I have a new life ahead of me. I have a master leading me. I have a way set before me. And I have his very presence inside of me. He causes me to walk in his ways. 
It's a whole new nature that Paul says we need to, to walk from. It's he, he's the one, as Paul says in Philippians 1, to work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Amen? So listen, this morning we're reminded of two essential truths. One, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Today, if you're here and you're hungry for this, you're longing for this, there's something in your soul that's like, I'm tired of the old. Today, Jesus makes you new. You look to him. You see how Jesus on the cross, he took upon his shoulders the age-old curse of sin. He took upon his shoulders your brokenness and your sin. Here's the good news of the gospel. You could never earn your way back to God. You could never pay him back. There's no ladder tall enough to reach God. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus descended from heaven to save you. He did that by bearing a cross, taking your sin upon his own shoulders, being treated guilty on behalf of sinners, to to take that guilt, to, to listen, to fully bear that shame. And that the Bible says that through faith in that work, he gives us his righteousness. He lives this righteous life and we're gifted it in Christ and we're made new. So today, maybe you're here. And the reason why you're here is because Jesus wants to make you new. And what do I need to do? What does that look like in my life? Well, the Bible just says simply to, to, to call out, to turn your attention. If you need some help with that in the bulletin you got, there's a little prayer there, a prayer of faith and repentance that can guide you through asking God to save you, rescue you. You can turn from your ways today and receive the better way, which is the way of his love and his cross. And, and maybe it's the rest of us today who are in Christ and we just need to receive the encouragement today that we have been made new And what God wants to call us to is is a life of walking in newness of life. 